Welcome back to Music Heritage UK's podcast series, It's Only Rock and Roll. This time, we're speaking with Rod Argent, leader of the 60s band The Zombies, one of the few English acts of the 1960s that enjoyed true global popularity, including two US number ones and chart success elsewhere thanks to songs like She's Not There, Tell Her No and Time of the Season. The Zombies are a slight anomaly in that they were far more popular abroad than they were at home. Sitting alongside the Beatles, the Hollies and the Animals as part of the initial British invasion, the Zombies enjoyed huge success in the United States, playing live shows to screaming teenage audiences. This soon spread around the world. The band would play to more than 30,000 adoring fans in the Philippines, for example. Yet their reception after initial enthusiasm for their debut single, She's Not There, was generally lukewarm back home in the UK. Argent's keyboard swells added texture to a classic 60s sound, which has been admired long after the band's original lifespan. Acts like Tom Petty, R.E.M., Beck, Pavement and Paul Weller have all cited the Zombies' sound as an important influence. Signed by CBS in 1967 to release a follow-up album to their Decca debut, the songs that would later become Odyssey and Oracle were recorded in sessions at Abbey Road, in studios vacated by the Beatles who had just completed Sgt Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. They even cheekily went and borrowed John Lennon's Mellotron for the recordings. However, the album was only released after the band had split, and Al Cooper had persuaded CBS that it had some great songs worthy of attention. Indeed, the public would soon come to agree, as time of the season creeped up the charts without much backing from the label. It was a true word-of-mouth hit. But it all came too late for the zombies, who had already moved on in new musical and professional projects. Fast forward to 2017, and the remaining original members of the Zombies have now reformed, including singer and co-founder Colin Blunstone, as well as Chris White and Hugh Grundy. They'll be joining Rod on stage for a gig at London's Palladium on the 29th of September 2017, celebrating their album Odyssey and Oracle. We asked Rod to take us through the initial years of the band, and how his love affair with music began. Well, I was always um, completely... um in love with music. Um, when I was, I mean, I was born in 1945, so for the first 10 years of my life, really, um, the only music I, I was really turned on by, although, I mean, I did like some, you know, some of the sort of, you know, popular tunes that I heard at the time, but um, was classical music, really, but I, and it was the, the lighter sort of classical music, which was the only sort of that I'd heard at the time, um, you know, the sort of romantic stuff, um, you know uh, Tchaikovsky and um, and and Grieg and, and and things that my mum loved and and some of the more romantic operas and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was eleven years old, um, my older cousin Jim Rodford, who plays, um, who was the uh, founding member of Argent with me uh, years later, um, and uh, and and had eighteen years with the Kinks on their biggest ever selling records, but Jim was uh, four years older than me, and he was in one of the the very first uh, electric bands ever in in, um, in the south of England. And I was completely knocked out when I saw him. And at that time, he introduced me to the new record that had come out by Elvis, which was, Hel- which was Hound Dog at the time, the, the first one that I heard anyway. Mm-hmm. And I was completely blown away with it. And... 
um, and, and became in love with rock and roll. And similarly, um, when I'd seen Jim's band, uh, which was called the Blue Tones, um, I vowed to myself that I had to get a band together as soon as I was old enough and able to do so. And that was really uh, constantly in my head for about the next three years. Um, and when I was about 15 or 16, um, I heard someone uh, at my school uh, play guitar in a folk club and asked him to be in the band. And he said yes. And, you know, I, I sort of dragooned my one of my friends who lived close to me who was building a bass guitar. And he had a mate called Colin Blundstone, um, who he said um, played guitar and sang a bit. Um, and, and, and basically that's how we all got together. Uh, and we had our first rehearsal. And quite incredibly, it all worked together. We won a beat competition called the Hearts Beat Competition that was put on by the Watford Observer. Um, and we got a recording contract with Decca. Um, and uh, I wrote one of the first songs I ever written. In fact, it was the third song, um, which was "She's Not There." And you know, very fortunately, it became a worldwide hit, and we were and we were off. I mean, I sort of expected it to happen because you were so young and naive at that age um, that you can't see any of the pitfalls, you know. And um, you know, I was soon brought down to earth when uh, some other things, um, you know, didn't go to plan. Most of the world. 
Yeah. And that's fantastic. And I always remember we, were, we had a, a real slice of luck because um, the, uh, one of the only, I mean, music on the radio and television was severely limited by the Musicians' Union at the time. Um, uh, you know, because they wanted everything to be live and they didn't want to lose live music. So recorded music was almost non-existent. Um, and there were only one or two places where you could get your record heard. And we were really lucky because we got the, uh, we managed to get the record onto Jukebox Jewelry, um, and uh, which was a, uh, a, like a panel program where people listened to about the first minute um, or minute and a half um, of each record and, and uh, judged it to be a hit or a miss. <laughs> and it just so happened that that week, George Harrison um, was on the panel. And, you know, he didn't like much of what was on. And when our record came on, he loved it. Uh, I remember being over there on tour and phoning home, which was a big deal at the time. I was still living at home. Um, and phoning home, uh, made contact with my mum. And she said, you've just been on the 9 o'clock news. I said, what? I thought, what have I done? You know? <laughs> and... Uh, and she said, yeah, they said you're the first band after the Beatles to make number one in America with, the first British band after the Beatles, to make number one in America with a self-written song. Um, and, uh, you know, so it was, it felt fantastic. I mean, we, you know, there we were, 18, 19 years old. Um, it, was, it was a dream, really. America took to the zombies almost immediately, and the young men from St Albans in Hertfordshire would make the most of it playing to pack crowds and meeting some of their musical heroes. America was the, the place of our dreams, and it was the place that everybody aspired to. You know, it's the home of rock and roll, the home of all the music we loved. Um, and so to actually um, be very successful there and, re and um, admired by some of our heroes, you know, Elvis had three of our songs on his jukebox. I mean, I just couldn't believe it. I mean, and, and there we were, 18, 19 years old, um, 19 actually by then it was just extraordinary um, the, the downside was that um, like many other people at the time um, we were taken advantage of financially and, um, and, and and to a large degree we were ripped off for a very large amount of money I mean we, we never saw much money from live performances luckily from um, the publishing and songwriting side of stuff we had extremely honest um, publishers and so we got the money that we should have got from those sources but from the live uh, point of view um, it was much more difficult for the guys in the band that weren't writers um, because you know that, that was the main money that they depended on and they really didn't earn an awful lot of money mm. um, so we were taking a lot of advantage of we weren't alone in that um, so that was that double-edged sword you know lots of fame lots of um, you know, you can imagine what it's like to be an 18, 19-year-old uh, uh, boy in America um, with all the girls wanting to know and, um, and, and having that sort of, you know, it, it, it was just a dream, really. We were on, on tour playing with, uh, um, we, we did shows with Benny King, The Drifters, Shirelles, um, Dionne Warwick. You know, it was, it was, it was great. Financial stresses and artistic differences with record companies meant the band came to a natural close as their second album with CBS was completed. Because we'd only had the one hit single in the UK, and we were based mainly in the UK, um, then our live fees in the UK were going down and down, um, and, and yet the income from the publishing and the songwriting was still remained really, really good. 
Um, so there's a bit of a two-tier thing in the band. So it made things very difficult. And it eventually got to the stage where a, a couple of the guys in the band said, look, we're just not earning enough money to live, really. And one of the guys was getting married, uh, and he said, I, I, I've got to move on. And that's why we split up. But we've become very disillusioned with and frustrated by some of the later production on our singles. Mm. Um, and it, uh, Chris and I were desperate. Um, if, if, if Breaking Up was in the air, Chris and I were desperate that as the two writers, we should get our own ideas about how, how our song should be sounding um, on tape. So we managed to get CBS to put up the money. We left Decca and to put up the money for a self-produced album. And Chris and I produced the album. Right. And that, was, that became obviously an oracle. Um, and we were very pleased with the album. We loved it. But at the end of it, um, we put out the first single, which was Carousel 44, in the UK, did nothing. Got, got great reviews, everything, but just didn't, <clears throat> never got played, never, uh, you know, didn't sell. Um, and we broke up. And then I moved on to Form Argent. Um, uh, and Chris and I, Chris White, the bass player, and I, and he was the other writer in the band, stayed together as a production partnership. Mm. And we immediately produced an album for Colin called One Year, um, which later became, which spawned a big hit single, So You Don't Mind, um, and um, has become a cult album in its own right. Mm. Um, uh, and, and as those things were not yet recorded, but, but quite far advanced in the planning stages, Turn of the Season became a number one hit single in America. Um, and even then, the album didn't sell particularly well, even in America. So um, I saw no reason to, to get back together. Um, this was by then 18 months later. Yeah. And, and we were well on our path of, of, of um, you know, recording the new stuff. And uh, it seemed to be for the wrong reasons to just get back together and, and cash in because we were, we were very excited about the new projects that were just about to crystallise. And it was great because we were in America at that time and Chris and I went in to see Clive Davis and we and with a number one record we easily did a deal for Arjun and for Connor's new album. Um, and, um, you know, both of those acts became very successful um, on an international basis. It's the time of the season Love runs high in this time. Give it to me easy and let me try with pleasured hands to take you in the sun to promised lands to show you everyone. It's the time of the season for love. What's your, What's, your What's your name? Who's your daddy? Is he rich like me? Has he taken us any time to show you what you need to live? Tell it to me slowly. Tell you why I really want to know. It's the time 
performance between Colin Blunstone and Rod Argent at a charity concert, the Zombies reformed and started to tour again in the early noughties. 
the 40th anniversary of the album Odyssey and Oracle in 2007 was an opportunity to reform the original remaining lineup to play the album, which had over the years become a real cult hit, a firm critical and artistic favourite. Well, it was really because Colin and I, the, Colin Blanchard, Lee Singer and I, got back together just to play together for fun um, around the year 2000 when John Dankworth, who was uh, the jazz musician, who was quite a, a good friend of mine, um, sadly passed now, but um, wanted me to do a concert um, to raise money for his new theatre in Milton Keynes. And um, uh, when, when I was, uh, Colin was in the audience um, and, and got up on the spur of the moment and saying she's not there in time this season with me. And, and it felt great to be just working together. And he said, why don't we do half a dozen concerts together? That was all we planned to do. Yeah. Um, but then in a very, very slow way, we put a band together, which sounded great. And we started going out on the road in a very slow way. Uh, but that built and built naturally until about four or five years later, um, we found ourselves rediscovering some of the early Zombies material, which we realised we'd never played the first time round. <laughs> so to play those things on stage was, you know, felt great. It felt like a bit of a rediscovery. And, it, and more and more, as the band got tighter and tighter, um, it felt right that we were carrying on the tradition of the Zombies and that we were sort of espousing the original aims and ideas of the Zombies. Um, and at that time, there was just Colin and I in it, um, in fact, there are, that, that's the case now, really. But um, Chris Wyatt, the original bass player, said, do you realise it's nearly 40 years since, obviously, an article came out? We've never played it. Why don't we get all the original guys together? Um, uh, it had to be the originals except for one, because um, our guitarist had passed away. But um, um, he said, uh, and we can use the current band as well, so that we can reproduce every single note that was on the original album, because there were overdubs and right. one thing and another and I said well I had to get another keyboard player to play some of the overdub Mellotron parts that I did so we got Darian Sahanaja from the Brian Wilson band um, who was a great fan um, and, and, and Brian himself is a, is a big fan too actually he, we've just had a new book out and I couldn't believe it lovely quote from him at the beginning of the book but um, uh, and Chris said you know who'd often come along to our gigs and I said, but you haven't played for years, Chris. He said, oh, well, you know, I can practice up and everything. So um, we got the original drummer, the original bass player, um, Colin and myself. So it's four out of the original five. And we, uh, we did it at Shepherd's Bush. And it was supposed to be one concert in 2008, but it turned into three because we, we sold out the first one quite quickly. Um, people like Paul Weller bought tickets for all three nights, you know, and lots of people came to see us. Um, and it was it was... It was a great, uh, it felt great. We were persuaded over the, on the 50th anniversary, um, which was uh, this year, to go to America and do it extensively in America, which we did under the same, you know, in the same way. Um, so in a way, the original song is with all the people in it, um, uh, is only for the, the replaying of, of Odyssey and Oracle. And the one at the Palladium is going to be the last time that we do that in the UK. Right. Um, and then we're going to draw a line under it because we're all very proud of it, but we don't want to spend the you know, rest of our lives just looking back and doing something that is, is 50 years old. Um, we, we had a new album out last year called Still Got That Hunger, which um, got 
great reviews. Um, it sold, it sold uh, by today's standards, sold pretty well, um, and particularly in America. And um, uh, you know, it's it, it's great to be able to feel that we can still have the creative buzz to um, to record and, and and play and be accepted for the new music as well as the stuff from the from a long time ago that we love playing too. Sometimes When you're walking that long, lonely road Feels like nothing Is able to lighten the load From the edge of the rainbow You see the light coming through Sometimes When you're feeling just heartache and pain And it seems There's nothing outside except the rain From the edge of the rainbow You see the light coming through Into each life, some must fall. I just know there's too much in mind. You gotta be strong. Keep moving on, and know there's something better. Trouble is in its decline From the edge of the rainbow You see the light shining Our huge thanks to Rod for speaking to us. The Zombies will be playing Odyssey and Oracle at the London Palladium on the 29th of September 2017. Tickets are available now from the Palladium website. And that's it for now. Until next time.